Our title is, Who is Waiting for Who? Why Jesus Hasn't Returned Yet. And I must admit, this is a heavy topic, and uh, you need to just tighten your seatbelts, get your Bibles, because today we are going to dive into the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Today we'll be addressing the topic, why is Jesus taking, quote-unquote, so long to return? Uh, He said 2,000 years ago that he would return. Where is Jesus Christ? Now, if you have been following me on social media, for, for those of you who, who do social media, I've been posting some videos uh, every day about the book of Proverbs. And uh, I started from Proverbs 1 to, I want to go up to 30, 31. And uh, I must say it has been a blessing. And um, as you can see there, I've shared a couple of some topics, sharing the Bible truth, sharing the actual truth that we have to be sharing I've seen some amazing things from the book of Proverbs that I never thought I would see. And so it just shows how the Bible is interconnected and how we have to, you know, study the Bible. And of course, you can go subscribe to my channel, uh, James Nyemugawo, and if you want to follow that. But please be sure to subscribe to this channel to ensure that uh, the word of God spreads. You know, when you like a video on YouTube, uh, uh, YouTube favors that video and shows it to more people. And that way we are spreading the word of God. And if more people see the videos, more people hear the gospel. If more people hear the gospel, Jesus Christ will return soon, like he said. And this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the world. And then the end will come. So if you want to hasten the coming of Jesus Christ, like this video and share this video. All right. Now, in the spirit of Proverbs, or the the Proverbs series I've been doing, not that it's connected to this sermon, but I thought I should start with a proverb. Uh, Proverbs 15 and verse 22. The Word of God says, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Before we continue, let's say a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity to speak for you and to speak with you. Lord of all people, I know I am not worthy of this task. And so Lord, I pray that you would, in a special way, guide my mind and be with the the words of my mouth, the things that I'm going to say here. Let me only speak that which you will condone. Let me only speak that which you'll approve and that which will glorify your name. So Lord, hiding behind the cross, I come to speak for you, but Lord, please use me. And let not me be seen, but let only you be seen. For I ask these things believing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are in 2021. 2020 is gone, right? And uh, it's, it's been awesome, right? A new year. But of course, COVID is still here. But what, what I've been thinking for the most part uh, the, the past few days is, as of 2021, it's been, I guess, roughly 2,000 years since Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. Read the story in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascended to heaven. And we even have Ascension Day for that reason. Uh, Jesus rose, uh, rose from the dead and went to heaven. But it's been three, I mean, 2,000 years since that day. And Jesus Christ told us in John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in my Father, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If if it were not so, I would have told you. I got to prepare a place for you, and then one day I will what? Come back to get you. But it seems like Jesus Christ has delayed. Where is Jesus Christ? Uh, People are asking. Where is Jesus Christ? You may be asking. 
In fact, when you study the apostles, they, they believed Jesus Christ would return. Read this verse with me in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Paul here is excited at talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, and this is what he has to say. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, I don't know if it's just me, but what I read from that text is it seems as though Paul believed or had this idea that probably maybe Jesus would return in his lifetime. That's what I read from the text. And when you study the context of this, this uh, book, the First Thessalonians, you understand that when this, this book was written or this letter, some people, some Thessalonians became overzealous and they started to... Uh, they stopped working because they thought, well, Jesus is returning, so why should we be working? And they became a burden to other people. And that's why the book of 2 Thessalonians was written. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. I want to admit to you from the scriptures that the first reason why Jesus Christ has not returned yet is because the man of sin has not been revealed yet. It's because the falling away has not happened first. It's because the son of perdition has not been revealed. But there's another reason. That's not the only reason. And that reason is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The word of God says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. A some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, what? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we see two reasons why Jesus Christ has not returned. Number one, it's because, if we recap just quickly, it's because the man of sin has not been revealed. And the second reason why Jesus has not returned is because God is long-suffering, if you will. He doesn't want anyone to perish but that we should come to repentance. I wonder if these two are connected. I wonder if these two reasons are connected. Now, let's just go over each quickly and, and gather the word of God. I'm, I'm so excited. Please pull up your Bible. Go with me in the, in the Bible and let's study together. For us to understand the first reason why Jesus has not returned, we have to understand the, the character involved in, the, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the man of sin. Who is this man of sin? Now, I must tell you, it's, it's not that complicated. All you have to do is just take your pen and, and paper and write down the characteristics of the man of sin according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And when you do that, you come up with something like this. Number one, this man of sin is self-exalting and blasphemous. And number two, and of course read that in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 which says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or, uh, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So he sits in the temple of God, showing that he is God. And then uh, point number two, he's after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. You find that in verse nine. He extends until the end. If you read verse 8, it says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. This man of sin will be destroyed at the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will come to destroy this man of sin. No wonder the two are connected. Don't you see? But there's an, another point. 
uh, we are told that the mystery of iniquity, who is this man of sin, already was working in Paul's day. Verse number seven says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken away. And then there's another point. He does not love the truth. If you read verse 10, it says, And without deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they may be saved. We read in verse 8 that he will be destroyed with supernatural destruction. And the last one is my favorite. It says that uh, uh, there's a time prophecy associated with this, with this man of sin. Verse 6 says, And now ye know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. Now, here's a quick question for you guys. Do you think, do you think Paul was just making all these things up? I, I don't think so. Paul was a servant of Jesus Christ. He must have heard from Jesus Christ about these things. And rightly so. I also want to point out that Paul was a, a, a studious, he was so studious with the Bible, he was, he was a pious uh, man, um, man, and he, he was very interested in the scriptures. He was an expert in the Bible. He understood the, the, the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies. Here's what Jesus had to say, commenting or uh, j- just speaking about the same topic as Paul. Matthew 24, verse 15, it says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Oh, wait a minute. That sounds like the man of sin. He sits in the temple of God, showing that he is what? He is God. And, and there's something very interesting that Jesus says there. Uh, um, Whoso reads, let him understand. Whoso reads, let him understand. So for us to truly understand this man of sin, we just have to go to the book of Daniel a little bit. And it's not that complicated at all. It says if you read, you will understand. It's as easy as that. All you have to do is just what? Read. And so let's go to the book of Daniel a little bit. And in the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he sees this great image, right? This great image is so exciting. He sees a head of gold, right? And then he sees arms and chest of, of silver. And then after that, he sees belly and thighs of, of bronze. And then after that, you see the, 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 feet, the uh, legs of iron and the feet of iron mixed with clay. But what does all this mean, right? And, and, and of course... Daniel explained, you king, you are the head of gold, and after you shall arise another kingdom. And we know the kingdom that rose after Babylon was uh, Medopasia, the Medes and the Persians, just like the two arms. And then after that came Greece, and after that came Rome. And then after that we have the, the divided Europe. No, no longer is the world ruled by an empire. We have so many divided states all, all around the world. And of course, a stone was cut out with our hands, and it destroyed this image. Now, all these are historical facts. Just go read history, and you will see that it happened exactly as it was uh, prophesied. But God does not leave us there. God wants us to understand these truths. And so he gives us another prophecy. In Daniel chapter 7, we see four beasts. Now, this is not something to be scared about. God wants us to understand these things. We see that there was a first uh, beast, like a lion, the second beast, like a bear, the third beast, like a leopard, and then the fourth beast was so exceedingly dreadful, terrible beast, and out of it came a little horn. And this little horn is what I want to talk about just for a few minutes. 
And then, of course, you see that uh, repetition of the prophecy just to give, it more, uh, more, give us more information about what's going on. But I'm more interested in the fourth beast, which is Rome. That's a historical fact. And then out of Rome, something comes out. Another kingdom comes out, if you will. And this is the little horn, the little horn power. Uh, it's called in prophecy. This little horn power, and of course, uh, this, this uh, video just shows the correlation between uh, uh, Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, where you have a Babylon that ruled from 604 B.C. until uh, 539 B.C., which is the same as the lion. But just because of time, I won't really go into that. But you can see that interesting parallel between Daniel 2 and 7. But let's focus on the little horn. The little horn is very interesting. And we just want to talk a little, just a little bit about this little horn that rises out of the uh, fourth beast. Here are some, some of the characteristics that I managed to pull out. Number one, this little horn speaks against God and attempts to change the set times and the laws. That's according to Daniel 7.25. And then secondly, he exalts himself as high as the prince of the host, and he launches his attack against the sanctuary. Now, I just want to pause here and uh, show you something that's similar across as we are studying this today. The sanctuary keeps, keeps showing up. The man of sin has a problem with God's sanctuary. The man of sin wants to destroy God's sanctuary. And then, of course, he says he will not respect any gods. Of course, he's blasphemous as well. This little horn of Daniel chapter Seven. Now, we know there was such a power in history that did all these things that was blasphemous against God, that made its own rules, that tried to destroy the sanctuary physically and also even spiritually. And we know, according to 1 Thessalonians 2.7, that this mystery of iniquity does already work. So this is not some futuristic thing that will happen. It's something that already happened and will happen again. How do we know? You read a verse like this in 1 John 2.18. Little children, it is the last time, as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that we are living in the last time. So the Antichrist came, so to speak, right? But Jesus has not returned yet. So what's going on here? Are we missing something? Because Paul told us the reason why the, the, the Jesus has not returned is because the man of sin has not been revealed. But when you study the prophecies, you see that there was a power that rose out of Rome that persecuted God's church, that spoke blasphemous things. So why is Jesus not returning if, if this man of sin was at some point revealed, was already working in Paul's day? And Jesus now helps us understand. That's why we have the book of Revelation to expand some of the things that we do not fully comprehend. If you read the book of Revelation, the revelation not of the beast, it's not the revelation of some mystic powers, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. And so when you read the book of Revelation and don't see Jesus, you probably are reading it the wrong way. But nonetheless, we, we are told that the, Jesus has this opponent that he's fighting with. And this little horn is fighting against Jesus Christ. He shall speak great words against the Most High. And when you read the beast of Revelation chapter 13, does the exact same 
thing. Makes war with the saints. Same thing as the little horn. So we see that the beast of Revelation chapter 13 is none other than this little horn. But if we continue, after Jesus gives us all these details about beasts and about what will happen in the last times, he does what he always does. He says, Remember that therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly. And then he says again, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly. And then again he says, behold, I come quickly. And then he says again, cometh quickly. And then again he says, I come quickly. And then again he says, behold, I come quickly. And then again he says, I come quickly. Seven times in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Christ, uh, Jesus says, I come quickly. But how quick is this quickly, you may ask, right? I mean, Jesus Christ has spent all these years. Where is Jesus? Why can't we see him? Well, we just saw number one. It's because the, the man of sin has not been revealed. But well, he was revealed. So where is Jesus? And that's what we are talking about today. Repent, I come quickly is a theme that resounds in the book of Revelation. Now, in the early 1800s, a man by the name of William Miller shared this belief that Jesus Christ would be returning, is returning soon, like he said, quickly, I come quickly. Jesus Christ is returning quickly. And he went, to, he went a step further and said, you know what, I, after studying the prophecies, after studying who the little horn is and all these things, he said, uh, you know, Jesus Christ must return October 22nd, 1844. That's what he said. That's what he believed. And he could prove it from the Bible. But of course, we know Jesus Christ did not return. And so there was this great disappointment. Many people believed Jesus Christ was going to return that day, but he did not return. And many people after that left the faith. They became atheists. Some people said prophecy doesn't even apply anymore. But before we call this, before we call this man uh, mad, let's just have a little perspective as to where he's coming from and where he might have went wrong. Of course, he was reading Daniel chapter 8, where we see uh, the story of the little horn. And Daniel chapter 8 verse 14 says, And he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And of course, this is speaking about the, um, the, the, the man of sin or the little horn. Just to give you a bit of context... If you read verse, verse 13, which is the previous verse, it says, Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? So this man is asking, this person is asking, how long will this little horn power continue to oppress God's people? How long will this little horn power continue to defile the sanctuary? And it says, until 2,300 uh, 300 days, then this will end. Then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now, when William Miller read that, of course, it wasn't just him. It was really the larger Christendom at the time. They believed that this earth was the sanctuary and, and, and th this cleansing was the cleansing of, of the earth by fires. 
That's why they believed. They had read Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, which clearly told them where to begin counting these years. Know therefore and understand that from going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. So you have seven weeks and threescore. Score means 20. Threescore, that's 60. So you have seven weeks and 62 weeks. But of course, we have to understand that we have to, to uh, interpret this in terms of days because the, the, uh, the angel said unto 2,300 days. And so William Miller went on and, and said, okay, that's seven times seven. Seven weeks times seven, that's 49 days. And 62 weeks times seven, that's for, uh, for 34. For, uh, th- for 34 days. So that's why they understood. And they, could, they read uh, Daniel 9.25 as well, which says, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come, uh, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destro- destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And until the end of the world, desolations are determined. So they read all these things. And he says, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. All these prophecies pointing to Jesus Christ. In the midst of the, of the, uh, of the last week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. William Miller read these prophecies. And when they did their math, it landed in 1844. Let's just recap quickly to see how this happened. And I'm reading from the Great Controversy just to be quick here. In the book, uh, Great Controversy, page 410, the uh, the chapter entitled, What is the Sanctuary? It says that 2,300 days had been found to begin when the commandment of of Ataxis for the restoration and building of Jerusalem went into effect. That was in the autumn of 457 B.C. Taking this as a starting point, there, were per- there was perfect harmony in the application of all the events foretold in the explanation of that period, like we read in Daniel 9, 25 to 27. 69 weeks, that's the seven weeks plus the uh, seven weeks plus the 62 weeks. 69 weeks, the first 483 of the 2,300 years or days. Now, a day is a year, according to Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 5. So that's how they interpreted these things. And if you start counting, it says it was to reach to Messiah, the anointed one. And Christ's baptism and anointing, which happened in AD, 7, uh, AD 27. And it was exactly fulfilled. But in the midst of the 70th week, which is the last week, Messiah was to be cut off. Three and a half years after his baptism, Christ was crucified. In the spring of A.D. 31. So the 70 weeks, or 490 years, were to pertain especially to the Jews. At the expiration of this period, the nation sealed its rejection of Christ by the persecution of his disciples. And the apostles turned to the Gentiles, A.D. 34. Remember how Stephen was stoned, and that was like the end. Uh, The people had to go to the Gentiles now. The first 490 years of the 2,300, having then ended, we remain with another 1,810 days, 1810 years. And when you start counting from AD 34, you add 1,810 years, 
it extends until 1844. Then, say the angel, shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So William Miller thought, okay, that means Jesus Christ should return in 1844. But we know Jesus Christ did not return in 1844. 1844 is a biblical biblical date. It can be proven from the Bible. But what the people were expecting is not exactly what happened. Now, I want to take you to to, uh, Daniel chapter 7. After God has described all these four beasts that will arise from the earth, these four kingdoms that will arise from the earth, and especially the fourth beast out of which the little horn will come, and then Jesus comes. That's the next event we see. After the little horn, we see Jesus coming. But the, the, um, the coming of Jesus in Daniel chapter 7 is very different from what we usually think. If you read in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, it says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery, uh, fiery flame, and his wills as burning fire. This is exactly after the little horn, if you read Daniel chapter 7. The, the, the vision is almost interrupted in a way with this other vision, where Daniel sees thrones cast down. He sees the ancient of days, who we know to be God the Father. That he says, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. We see some sort of judgment happening here. Now, focus on verse number 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days. Very important. This is not the coming of Jesus Christ on this earth to take his own, like we read in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians, that uh, when, when he comes, the Lord himself shall descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. No, it's not talking about that yet. It's talking about the coming of Jesus Christ to the ancient of days. And so they brought him near before him. And what happened? Verse 14 says, And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, which shall not be destroyed. So in 1844, Jesus Christ did not return on this, on this earth, yes, but he went somewhere else. He went to God the Father. He went Somewhere that's very important for us to understand. And that's where we ask the question today, so if Jesus has not returned, where is he? We know he told us that he, will, he goes to prepare a place for us. But obviously Jesus doesn't say, I go there to just sit. He's doing something. He's doing something not for himself, but for us. And for us to understand where Jesus Christ is, we have to understand the sanctuary message. Because the sanctuary message is what we find that the little horn is trying to fight against. The the sanctuary will be cleansed. Jesus Christ in 1844 is cleansing the sanctuary. So for us to understand where Jesus Christ is, we need to understand the sanctuary just a little bit. And I'll be quick here. 
This is how the sanctuary looked in the Old Testament. And of course, the little horn is said to have destroyed the sanctuary, to have defiled the sanctuary. The sanctuary had meaning. And when you went into the sanctuary, the first thing you saw was the altar uh, where you would sacrifice. And a sinner would daily bring an animal, and they would transfer their sins to this animal, and then this animal was killed and was sacrificed. But then the blood was taken inside the, uh, the, um, inside the holy place, and it was sprinkled on the veil between the holy place and the most holy place. But each article here represents something. You see, that altar represents Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. And before you entered into the sanctuary, you had to wash your hands. And that, of course, represents nothing other than baptism itself. And then you have the prayers of the saints. All these things have meaning. And then you have the, uh, uh, you have the, candle, uh, the candlestick. All these things have meaning. You have the table of shewbread, which represents the word of God. So what, what we are studying today is that, or what prophecy is telling us is that this little horn, this man of sin, will destroy the temple. It will change baptism. It will change uh, who Jesus Christ is uh, as the only way of salvation. And it will introduce other new concepts, a false system of worship that cannot be proven from the Bible. But God will return and rectify these things. Jesus Christ today is in the business of cleansing the sanctuary. But there's another aspect to this. You see, there were two uh, services that happened in the sanctuary. One was a daily service where the high priest uh, would, you know, like I, I mentioned before, a person brings their sins, their sins are transferred to, to the animal, the animal is killed, and, and the, the, the sins are symbolically taken with the, uh, as the blood of that animal into the, more, the holy place. So you can imagine over a period of a year, there was so much blood in the, in the uh, holy place. There was so much blood in the holy place. That's why once a year, once a year, only once a year, the, the high priest would go into the most holy place. And that's where he would, he would take the sins of all the people and all these sins would be, shed, would be uh, the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat directly, directly above the law of God, which the people had transgressed. The mercy seat representing how we are forgiven. And anyone who had sinned during that time was cut from Israel or would die. So you had to confess your sin, your sin during that period of time. I want to admit to you today that we are living in that time of atonement. But this atonement is, is, is happening in heaven right now. And we have to be repenting our, of our sins. Here's some context about the atonement. It says in Leviticus 16, 16, He shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So the sanctuary had to be cleansed because the sanctuary was filled with our sin. The sanctuary was filled with sin, but also the sanctuary had been trodden down underfoot by the little horn. For, for a long time, for a long time, people were not allowed to study the Bible. For a long time, people were not allowed to know the truth, the truth about the Sabbath, the truth about the law of God as still abiding. 
And in 1844, there was this reformation, revival of these great truths that we find in the Bible. The sanctuary, in a sense, was then cleansed. Remember the proverb I started with today. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Now, obviously, this, this verse is speaking about, you know, if you don't have counselors, if you don't have uh, uh, purpose, you will be disappointed if you don't have counsel. It's speaking generally in normal life. But even in a spiritual application, it still applies. Because we know Jesus Christ is the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And if we don't take his counsel, we are going to be disappointed. In 1844, there was a great disappointment. They studied the Bible so excited, but yet they missed some of the important concepts. And this is not unique to us. No, even in the time of Jesus Christ himself, his disciples were disappointed. Why did Jesus have to die? We read uh, the, 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 the two gentlemen going on the road uh, to Emmaus. They, thought, they were talking about how they're disappointed and so so disappointed that Jesus Christ died when he was supposed to be the Messiah. They did not understand the prophecies. But not only did they not understand the prophecies, they had their own preconceived understanding. Just like us today, we have our own preconceived understanding of the coming of Jesus Christ. There's so many theories about Jesus Christ who return, and almost all, most of them don't even, are not even found in the Bible. But we know how Christ will return, and we need to study very carefully these things. Now, the little horn showed up in history, which is represented as the purple uh, power persecuting the, the church and also, uh, you know, trying to change the law of God, trying to change the Sabbath and many other things. And of course, in 1844, we see this revival and reformation of the truth, the biblical truth. But Jesus Christ has not returned yet. That's our question today. Why hasn't Jesus returned? So I thought maybe, maybe it's not just because of the first reason that Jesus Christ has not returned. Maybe it's also because of the second reason why Jesus Christ has not returned. And let's read the second reason together. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The word of God says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, would not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. No wonder Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, 14, uh, 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 before mentioning about the, the, this little horn, the, the uh, abomination of desolation, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, I would argue today that, I mean, the gospel has been preached to the entire world, right? There's so many TV channels about God, so many prophets these days, right? And we can even do it online. We are preaching, right? But why hasn't Jesus returned yet? So th this, this was, to me, almost like I'm confused here. I mean, there's so much preaching of the word of God. I, I, I mean, some people know about the gospel, if not all people. There's so many TV channels about God. So why is this verse not being fulfilled? Why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Now, you notice I highlighted that, that word there. It says, and this gospel... So Jesus Christ is, is referring to a specific type of gospel. And how do I know this? Well, we are told in the book of the, the apostles that, that there are so, so some people have other gospels other than the true gospel. 
And then it, it, the, there's, a, there's an adjective there or something that describes this gospel. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom. So not any gospel will do this work. It's not any type of gospel. It has to be a gospel of the kingdom. But, but we know that God's kingdom can only be established or will only be established after the other four kingdoms are done away with. And that's where we see the connection between the man of sin showing up first before Jesus Christ comes to destroy him. But what is this specific gospel that you and I are supposed to be preaching if we want Jesus Christ to return soon? And this gospel is found in no other place other than the book of Revelation 14, verse 6 to 7. Notice what it says. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that met heaven and earth and sea and the fountains of the waters. Friends, I want to admit to you that the reason why Jesus Christ has not returned yet is because not so many people have heard this gospel. Not so many people have heard that they need to fear God and give glory to him. Not many people know that there is a judgment taking place even right now. We saw in the book of Daniel that there's a, there's a judgment happening. We saw that Jesus Christ did not return to this earth to take his own necessarily, but he returns, he goes to the ancient of days. Books are opened. The Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. Many people don't know this. That's why Jesus has not returned. But even more so, if you read um, Revelation 14, 8, it says, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon is fallen. Rings a bell. What else has to fall? First, uh, First Thessalonians 2 told us that uh, Jesus Christ will not come until they happen a falling away first. A falling away first. And we know this Babylon is identified to be all the confusing uh, religious systems that are opposing to the sanctuary tr truth, to the way that God saves his people. Do you think we have verses like, um, there's not any other way that we are saved other than through Jesus Christ? The reason why we have those verses is because there are the people who will attempt to find other ways of saving. But Jesus Christ has only one way to save his people. You know, if you read Revelation 18, it kind of concludes the whole thing. This is, this is very profound. Revelation 18, 4, it says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you not be partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. The reason why God has not returned is because he has people, his people, in these other four systems of worship. And these people have not heard the truth. These people have not heard the three angels' messages as pointed out in the book of Revelation chapter 14. If Jesus, if, if Jesus showed up right now, would that be fair to them? I don't think so. And so it is our responsibility to spread this truth. You know, this truth goes to the entire globe, to the uttermost parts of the earth, every, every kindred, nation, and tongue. This message has to go out. 
God is long-suffering, not willing that anyone should perish. And so Jesus Christ, through the prophet Isaiah, tells us, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no Uh, Before me there was no God formed, neither shall they be after me. I, even I am the Lord. Now you're like, wait a minute, why is God saying all these things? Doesn't he know that he's God? He knows it, right? So why is he telling us that I am God and I'm the only one, there's no one else? And I love the other part where he says, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and I have saved. I have shewed I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Why does God need a witness that he is God? You see, maybe you and I understand that God is God, but not everybody agrees. The devil himself does not agree that God is God. You know, if you read about the man of sin, we read a point which say that he works after the, the spirit of Satan. And what is the spirit of Satan? If you read uh, Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28, he says that the devil said uh, he wanted to be God, to lift himself up and saying, I will be like the most high. There's a battle happening right now between Jesus Christ and Satan. Jesus Christ says, I am God and we are his witnesses. But the devil says, no, you're not. I am God. I am the one who has the right way. People should follow me. And so there's this battle, this clash. And we have to be Whose witnesses? God's witnesses. There's a point we say there that I have declared and I have saved. That I'm the only savior. And, and, and we see God's plan of salvation through the sanctuary. A lamb had to be slain. Those things were not just made up. They pointed to something that will happen and to how God saves his people. Here's a climatic quote I want us to consider, found in Christ Object Lessons, page 69, paragraph 3. It speaks about the fruit, the harvest, uh, the parable of the sower, that after everything is grown, he harvests, right? And then it says, when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And then notice this. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. The reason why Christ has not returned yet is because we have not fully reflected him. It's because we do not look like Jesus. Imagine if Jesus came to this earth only to return because there's no one like him. What's the point of that? And so he wants us to be prepared. Now, in case you think I'm making this up, let's go to Revelation chapter 10, verse 7. It says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he has declared to his servants, the prophets. But what is this mystery of God, you ask? And the Bible does not hide anything. No private interpretations in the Bible. Everything from the Bible. Colossians chapter 127 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery of God. To take a man who is desperately wicked above all things, who does not even know his heart, and to make him holy. To stand before God perfect, 
That is the mystery of God. And God is looking for a people who are going to vindicate his law. People who are going to, to prove that his law can be kept. We read that in uh, Revelation chapter 12, 17, that there's, there's a particular people in the last days who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. And of course, in Ephesians chapter 5, the point is made clear. It says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, having, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy without blemish. How can a man be holy? It's impossible to be perfect, right? They say, um, no one is perfect. Well, the Bible says, be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. God is looking to make his people holy. Why is that important? Let's just step away a little bit and talk about something important. I told you in the beginning that there's a war between Christ and Satan. And uh, Satan is known to be the accuser of our brethren. You see, from the beginning, the devil has been accusing God that his law is not fair, that his law cannot be kept. And we are the people who are going to prove that we can keep his law. If any man sin, the Bible says, he is of the devil. That's what the Bible says. And so if we continue to sin, technically the devil has won. Do you see that? The only way Jesus Christ wins is if we truly stop sinning. Because the devil is the originator of sin. And Rwanda says the reason why he has not returned is because he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We have to repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. There is no kingdom of God without repentance. If you don't repent, you cannot go into the kingdom of God because the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, there is no sin. There is nothing that defiles. It says here, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. You see in the Bible, a woman represents a church and we know that Jesus Christ has a church on earth, which is us. And Jesus Christ is saying in the prophecies that we have to be ready. Church, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus Christ to return? And he kind of kind of makes me ask now, so after seeing all these things, who is waiting for who? Are we truly waiting for Jesus Christ to return on earth? Or is he waiting for us to return to him? You see, right now the condition of the church, or maybe let me speak for myself, right now my condition is far away from being holy and perfect and without blemish. In the book of uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness. You see, Jesus Christ is the true witness of God. When he came to this earth, he says, No man has seen God at any time, but Jesus Christ, he hath declared him. He has shown that God is not this angry God. God is love. 
And so what does the witness have to say to us? He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that, I would that word or was cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, neither, neither holy nor, nor unholy, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knoweth not that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. That's my condition, friends. I don't know about you, and I don't think in this condition I can see Jesus Christ. In this condition, Jesus Christ is not returning anytime soon. And then verse 18, my favorite part, I counsel thee. You remember that proverb we began with? Without counsel, we will be disappointed. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich, and white raiment that you may Cover your, 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 your nakedness and anoint your eyes with eyes of that you may see. And Jesus said, as much as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. We see the word again, repent. Jesus Christ is standing at the door of your heart knocking. And he wants you to be open and allow him to come in, in your life. And so would you repent of your sins? every known sin that you're struggling with right now, you have to repent that sin because Jesus Christ is waiting for you to do exactly that. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And after you have repented, after you have given your life to Jesus Christ and said, after you have repented and given your life to Jesus Christ, go and be his witness. Share his word. Preach the three angels' message. And you and I can hasten his coming. And I hope with these words you're going to be blessed. And as you reflect on these words, that you would give your heart fully to Jesus. We are not waiting for him to return. He has been waiting for us all this time. And so we have to reflect him.